0: Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit ConcerningHim.com. Good morning. Happy Friday. I can tell it's Friday. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm thankful for another opportunity. To, to come with you guys on, on, a, on a morning at chapel and to open the Word and to look at it. Um, this is a really cool, short little psalm, Psalm 134. And before, before we dive into it, I want to talk a little bit and, and actually, um, what's your friend's name that was here a couple months back? Duncan. Duncan, Duncan was here. He, he preached on another psalm of ascent. And this is, this is a final of the songs of ascent or the psalms of ascent. Um, Psalm 134, and, and I think that's a helpful thing to understand as we're diving into the Psalm today. Uh, these, were, these were songs that the Israelites sung. They're, they're from 120 to 134, songs that the Israelites sung on their way up to Jerusalem when they were going for, for yearly festivals and feasts, things like that. And so our, our Psalm is anonymously written, we don't know the author. And it's helpful, as we're, we're diving into the text to think about to think about who is, uh, what, what the author is saying. But I also think it's helpful, especially in this psalm, to think about that these were words, it wasn't just a one-time author communicating something to somebody, but that this, these were words that were being regularly and consistently sung by the people of Israel. So this encouragement, this psalm you'll see, is actually it's an encouragement for priests. In this encouragement, was regularly being sung and being reminded by the people of Israel. Um, and so as we dive into this text, I think that's a really important context to understand. Um, but I want, I want to walk, walk through, well, let's, let's look, for, look at verses 1 and 2. Behold, bless Yahweh, all you servants of Yahweh, who stand in the house of Yahweh by night. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless Yahweh. Verse 1, I mentioned priests a minute ago. In verse 1, we have these servants who are standing in the house of Yahweh by night, in the temple by night. In Leviticus 8, God commands that the priests not only work in the temple during the day, but the priests were also supposed to work there at night. During the day, the priests are performing sacrifices. Uh, A lot of things that we typically think of with priests, all all the tasks that we read about in in books of Leviticus, things that we see described in in 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Um, At night their tasks were probably more menial. We we do read of some evening sacrifices that happened, but there was a lot of standing guard, uh, making sure all the lamps are lit and stay lit, even doing like janitorial things, cleaning, organizing, probably the not fun work of being a priest. And so during the days, they're in public ministry, uh, they're they're doing this exciting work, and by night came the boring work. And so the psalmist is understanding that this might be an issue. It's probably going to be difficult to remember the purpose of your work, When you're at night and nobody's, we're working at night and nobody's watching you. During the day, right, they're the center of attention. People are coming and going. Everybody's looking at the priests, interacting with the priests. At night, everybody goes home. They go to bed. And the priests are still there and they still have things to do. But while they were the center of attention all day long, now nobody's watching them. Right, so rather than being engaged in their work at night, uh, the temptation would be to be idle, to be lazy, um, and I, I think that makes sense, I think that we can relate to that. I think most of us have probably worked some sort of job with customers, customer service in a restaurant or a store or something like that, and, and you know, most employees, at least not terrible employees, while a customer's there, while people are there, you're on your game, right, and you're, you're going, you're working hard, you're doing everything you should do. And then it gets to be like the end of the shift. It's maybe it's at night and you're closing in an hour. Or, or it's a, it's a, I remember I used to work at Chick-fil-A when I was a student, and I remember we, we would, if it was raining, if it was really storming, we'd go through stretches of time without getting anybody there, and it'd be, it'd be boring. And the temptation, right, and maybe, maybe your manager's not there, so the temptation is, what do, you, what do you do during that time? Nobody's watching you, it's just you and a couple other employees, And I I know myself in those situations have certainly goofed off, not taken things seriously, right? There's probably a lot of cleaning to do, a lot of work to do, and yet we're messing around. Our our conversations probably last a little too long and are a little too distracting from work. You go to take your 15-minute break, and it's more like a 25 or 30-minute break. Um, Right? These are the temptations when nobody's watching. So the psalmist is recognizing that, He's recognizing this would be a temptation. And so what does he encourage them to do? He says, bless Yahweh. In this short psalm, we see both the ways that the word bless is used in the psalms. In verses 1 and 2, it's talking about people blessing God. And in verse 3, it's talking about God blessing people. And we know, we've all thought about this, heard this. We know that these can't mean the same things. Uh, I can't bless God in the way that he can bless me because I have, at the end of the day, nothing that I can add to or, or give to God that he doesn't already have. Um, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Psalms, we see that when people bless God, it's often speaking of, of praising God or worshiping God. In Psalm 145.2, five two, says, Every day I will bless you. And paralleled with that, it says every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever. The blessed God is to worship God. So in our Psalm, we see that the solution to idle work or the solution to laziness, the solution to not taking it seriously, is not, hey, work hard. The solution is to worship the Lord. And we see this again in verse two: it says, Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless Yahweh. Oftentimes, prayer was done pointed to the sanctuary. Psalm 28.2, the psalmist is crying out. He says, hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands to your holy sanctuary. It's not because there was anything special in the sanctuary in and of itself. We know that. But it's it's about teaching us teaching the israelites to be oriented or to be pointed towards god i would say it's a similar way to how we often say okay we should we should bow when we're praying there's nothing special god's not going to hear my prayer better if i'm bowing versus if i'm not bowing right but we we bow to teach us reverence to say we are in submission to you, God. We, we, you are the Holy One. We, we are the, you're the creature. We're the creator. Sorry, you're the cre- creator. We're the creature. Um, it, it helps us. It helps our mindset. helps us be pointed to God, understanding who he is. So he, he is this one who is worthy, right, to be bowed to as we do. He's the one who's, who's worthy to be pointed towards, to have somebody's life oriented towards them. The psalmist is saying, instead of lazily doing your tasks, bless God. Orient yourself toward God. So in these verses, we're seeing what true worship looks like. It's, it, true worship isn't, isn't man-centered. In fact, true worship has nothing to do with man. The solution to, to laziness is not necessarily fix yourself, but true worship is, is totally consumed with God. True worship means to be filled with thoughts of who he is and what he has done. Similarly, we, we, we can't examine true worship, and I think we, we have all done this, we can't examine true worship by our level of emotion. Now, worship certainly results in emotion, but simply saying I, I was filled with emotion so I must have been truly worshiping misses the point. We examine true worship by what our minds and our hearts are consumed by. And so we have here in these first two verses a psalmist, and and then ultimately those who are singing this psalm are encouraging the priests who work at night to do their work in worship. The the problem that's being addressed is that there is this natural desire to create a division between times of worship and everything else in life, right? The, the time for worship for the priests, that's when the sacrifices were happening. That's when all eyes were on them. That's when people were awake, right? And the rest of the time, that, that wasn't for worship. That, you just had some tasks to do. Get them done, you know, get your rest and, and go on to the next day. It would be easy for us to be critical of this. you know, don't don't they know, like Paul says that they should do all things as unto the Lord? and And we know that, but but I think as I read this psalm, I think we're just as guilty as they are. Over the last few decades, it's been a mistake, I think, in, in a lot of evangelical churches to identify Simply just the time of singing as the as the worship time. Um, you hear the title worship leader. You typically think of the person that's leading music. Uh, you, you, somebody says, "Hey, we're going we're going for worship tonight," and it's a it's a time of singing. That's what it is, and that's that's not necessarily wrong, right? Singing is singing is worship, absolutely. We see it we see it in the Psalms, right? All all hundred fifty Psalms were meant to be sung. And these are all song, songs of worship. And the person that leads is definitely leading in worship. But but worship is so much more. And I think we've we've created such a narrow view of worship. Thankfully, I think recently, a lot of churches have sought to kind of correct this idea. Right? And if you're brethren, right, if you're brethren, you'll you'll probably hear an emphasis on worship being during the breaking of bread meeting right this is when we're coming together we're celebrating the lord's supper our hearts and minds are pointed towards christ his death and his resurrection this is a time of worship and that's absolutely true and and, and it's even being corrected uh, trust me it's not not just the brethren it's being corrected outside of the brethren too in a lot of evangelical churches you hear about uh defining sunday mornings as as corporate worship. It's not just worship isn't just the time of singing. Worship is the whole time that you're together. And these are really good clarifications. I think this is really helpful. But I think even then our thinking is still too narrow. Everything we've just talked about could be described as corporate worship, right? This is when Christians, the saints, come together and they worship God together, and it is a, it's a beautiful thing, it's a wonderful thing, it's a necessary thing, it, it's an incredibly important aspect of the Christian life. But if that's the only time you ever worship, let's say it's, it's four hours of your week, and I think that's probably a little generous, but four hours of your week, there's 168 hours in a week. It's—it's it's 2.3% of the week. Okay, and if we take off the time that you're asleep, let's say you you sleep for eight hours a day, which I know probably none of you are doing. (laughs) But let's say you sleep for eight hours a day. Four hours out of 112 hours in a week is still only 3.6% of your week. If you only seek to worship God on Sunday mornings, maybe you tack on Wednesday nights too, you're making the same mistake that the priests here are making. You're living, we're living so often as if worship is this separate, specific time. That's the time that we worship. It's for this time and that, this location with these people. And, and the rest of the time, my, my life isn't, isn't defined by worship. Priests, priests who don't take their work seriously what was an issue throughout the Old Testament. I, um, I recently got the opportunity to sit and record Dr. Bruce Henning uh, preach through the whole book of Malachi for a radio sermon. I got to sit in a recording studio. He came in, he was preaching 50 minute sermons. They're really good, you can find them online. Um, and then I got to go back and I got to edit all of those. So I got to hear them all twice, which was really good, because a lot of times it didn't hit me until the second time what he was really saying. Um, and, and Malachi won. And you don't have to turn there i'm actually going to read the scriptures but malachi 1 god is speaking to priests and he's calling them out for not properly honoring him and how they were making their sacrifices he's he's actually pretty harsh and and when talking about this section dr henning said listen he says god counts he's talking about the priests god counts their disinterest in their work because they were doing it wrong they weren't following how how the law had, had told them to set everything up. They were doing wrong. So he says, God counts their disinterest in their work as disinterest in him. Essentially, their inability to properly sacrifice was a reflection of their lack of a worshipful heart towards God. And then Dr. Henning made, made, went on to make application. He said, God is looking carefully At our work to see if we fear and honor his holy name or if we despise and pollute it. He he gave us, he gave just two options. And I I thought that was what really hit me. He gave just two options. People often use dichotomies to make a point. It's kind of a, it's like, TED Talk wisdom, I like to call it. I don't know if that's too mean to TED Talks, but um, you know, you hear like, oh, all people, you're either a leader or, you're, or a follower. You're either an optimist or a pessimist, right? You hear these types of things. You either, what, you, you either like pineapple on your pizza or you're wrong. People, people, they use these types of things and, you know, they're helpful to varying levels of degree, but I, I was thinking in this way and I was thinking that there's, there's a dichotomy like this that's, that's actually really, really important. In, in, in every moment, we're either worshiping God or we're not. In every moment of our lives, we're either worshiping God or we're not. Remember what Dr. Henning said? God's looking carefully at our work to see if we fear and honor his holy name or We despise and pollute it. Those are the two options. As creatures made in the image of God, we were made to worship him. Not just in corporate worship, not just in 4% of our week, but in every moment of our lives. This is what we see described in the garden before the fall, and this is what we see described in eternity future. Right? Is, Is perfect worship Walking with the Lord. And my first thought, I have to admit when I hear this, when I think about this, is that it sounds like a lot of work. Like, worshiping in every moment, it seems exhausting. That's honestly. But, but the truth is, we're already worshiping in every single moment of our lives. We are made to worship, and we are always worshiping something. I'm going to, forgive me, I'm going to quote another one of your professors. Dr. Stevenson, commenting on Romans 1, 23-25, he says, When we refuse to glorify God, we don't just go on our merry way. Inevitably, we turn to glorify some dimension of creation instead of God. Chesterton famously said, when we cease to worship God, we don't worship nothing. We worship anything. In fact, this this dichotomy, it's not just you're either worshiping God or you're not. The fact is, you're either worshiping God or you're worshiping something else. If the priests only worship God during the day, then they spent their nights... They were still worshipping, but they were worshipping something else, most likely themselves. And if we only spend 4% of our weeks worshipping God corporately, we spend 96% of our time worshipping something else. Most of the time, it's probably ourselves. Worshipping God in every moment only sounds exhausting, because in my sin, I'd rather be worshiping myself in every moment. It's not the effort of worship that's, that's exhausting. It's simply that I just I want to worship myself. And so we, we have to recognize that our sinful flesh, by itself, naturally, does not want to worship God. We have to remind ourselves, as we we're reminded here, to lift up our hands to the sanctuary and bless God. Bless Yahweh, bless the Lord. And, and honestly, and I know I just said it, it, it sounds exhausting, but when you really think about it, it it's, it's actually kind of crazy that we would ever not worship God. I, I know we're constantly failing to do this. Nobody is doing this perfectly. But, but how can we not worship him? It's mentioned at the end of verse 3, and we'll get there in a minute, but it's mentioned that he is the God who made heaven and earth. Why would we choose to worship something else? But it's more than just that. And I, in the last year or so, I, I have, there's a verse, and I just, I just can't get over it. It's been like the most important verse in my life last year in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Each one of us knows our sin better than anybody else, and, and we all know that God knows it far better than we do. And Christ came to be sin on our behalf so that we could have his righteousness. How, how could we not worship him? How, how could we look at this beautiful gospel and choose something else? I know we do it all the time, but it's stupid. How can can we look at our Savior and, and choose anything else? If you want to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, as Paul often commands his readers to do, if you want to live a life of worship, you do so with the gospel ever-present before you. Uh, somebody, who, somebody who lives a life of worship is somebody who simply cannot get over the fact that Christ came and died for them. And it's, it's always in their mind, and it's, it's ever-present in everything they do, it, and they can't act without that in mind. our worship it's not just for a time or location it's for all times in all locations and it's it's important that we understand that it looks different in different contexts right when we when we gather with the local church we participate in corporate worship it happens when we're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs it happens when we listen to scripture read out loud out loud it happens when we listen to a biblically grounded sermon that points us to God that that's worship It happens in the ordinances, right? It happens in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, we we gather together and and we partake in the elements to be totally focused on Christ and his death and resurrection. It even happens when we observe a baptism. We we worship God, one, because he saved the person who is now publicly declaring that that they're aligning themselves with God. He saved that person, so how could we not worship God? And then two, the the whole... Meeting or service of a baptism should ultimately not be about the person getting baptized, but it should be one that points us to the Lord. But again, it's not just for Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings, worship that encourages us and should encourage us to live a life that's defined by worship the rest of the week. It happens when we gather together for Bible studies with other Christians. It happens when we sit down by ourselves to read scripture and pray. It happens when we meditate throughout the day on the scripture we've been reading. It happens when we're meditating on God's attributes. It happens when we're meditating on the gospel. But it's not just in the times in our lives that we consider to be spiritual either. I mean, ultimately, this is the mistake the priests were, were susceptible to make. Romans 12.1. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God which is your spiritual service of worship. We we worship God in how we live our lives, specifically living as a sacrifice to God. When we work our jobs, we choose whether or not we're going to be worshiping God in the way in which we work. We make the same choice when we sit down to study. You can study in a way that is worshipful, or you can study... Not so. We we make a choice whether or not we're going to worship God when we're we're communicating with others or when we're communicating about others. We make a choice whether or not we're going to worship God with with how we post on social media, with how we spend time on our technology, on our devices. We we choose whether or not we're going to worship God with how we spend our free time. We've been told in 1 Corinthians 10 that We can glorify God in the ways in which we eat and drink. I mean, this is every single aspect of your life. Our corporate worship, right, we come together with Christians, and that leads us to live a life of worship all week long. And when you live a life of worship all week long, that prepares you to come together with the saints and better corporately worship together. In and, and all of these moments, whether it's, it's gathered together with saints, whether it's in the times of our lives that we think are spiritual, whether it's the non-spiritual times, we, we have to lift our hands to the sanctuary and, and bless the Lord. We have to orient ourselves to God. We have to live with the gospel at the forefront of our minds. We'll quickly just address verse 3 here. May, may Yahweh bless you from Zion, who made heaven and earth. In this final verse, we see the result of worship. The psalmist, and, and ultimately the people singing this psalm, go from re- making a request of the, of the servants of the Lord, making a request of the priest, to making a request of God. Uh, unlike in verses 1 and 2, Verse 3 a version of bless should not be understood as, as worship. God does not worship us. We do not ask God to worship us. Instead, when, when God blesses his people, he's ensuring good upon them. Not necessarily the good that, what they think is good, but what he knows to be good for them. And since, he says, who, who made heaven and earth, and since he's the creator of heaven and earth, he will never be short of things with which he can bless us, or ways in which he can bless us. Verse three: It's this request for God to bless the priest, but it's it's, it's the result of true worship. We have to understand the ability to worship God in the first place is a blessing from Him. It's a gift from God that we could as sinful creatures even worship him. In our fallen state, we have have no ability to worship God, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. It's only through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit given to us by God who makes us spiritually alive and allows us to worship him. So the very nature of worshiping him is participating in a blessing that he has given to us. And then when we actively live a life of worship, God will bless us. Not necessarily materially. In fact, I'd argue you probably don't want it to be materially if you read Scripture. But whether it's in corporate worship, where he's blessing us through the Lord's Supper, through the Scriptures, through the preaching of the Scriptures, through the fellowship of the saints whether it's in our daily walk with him, where he's blessing us because we're opening the scriptures and we're worshiping him and we're praying and we're worshiping him. So he's blessing us by making us more like him, right? These blessings are not necessarily physical. They're they're so much more than physical. They're so much more important than physical. It's spiritual blessings. He is making us like him as as we worship him, our time is up. In every moment, we're worshiping something. You can't, you can't escape it. You are always worshiping. So, my question for, for you, my question for myself, is are we going to worship the Creator of the universe who, in his love and his grace and mercy, sacrificed his Son in our place? so that we wouldn't suffer his wrath? Are we going to worship him? Are we going to worship something else? Let's pray. Father, you created us to worship you, yet we so often choose any and everything else. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We, we, we thank you for your son. We thank you for our salvation through his death. We thank you for the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, that you that you take dead men and you make them alive to you. Lord, we pray that you would lead us to live lives of worship, that you would lead us to, to be constantly oriented or pointed towards you, to be filled with thoughts of you and who you are and and the fact that you're our Savior. Keep the beauty of the gospel ever before us. Make us more like you. Lord, none of us can do this perfectly, but we pray that we would grow in our desire and in our ability to worship you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit mayus.edu/partner.